It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Garrison, and um, you might not know it if you've been here for the last month, but I am one of the pastors here uh, at Veritas, and uh, so thankful to be back in the pulpit this morning. Uh, I heard Alistair Begg say um, that the pulpit uh, calls pastors like the sea calls sailors, and so I am excited to be back in the pulpit uh, this morning, uh, thankful for a month of uh, time off of preaching regularly on Sundays. I was uh, preparing, uh, studying for uh, the upcoming sermon series that we're going to be beginning this upcoming year. We're going to be looking at Ruth starting the first Sunday in December uh, for the season of Advent, and then we're going to be looking at uh, Ecclesiastes uh, for several months starting the first Sunday in January. So I was digging into those texts, and I'm grateful to be able to do that. Um, I'm sure that it was helpful uh, to have uh, John and Nick and Brandon and Pastor Dan uh, here proclaiming God's Word. Um, I trust that it is very helpful for you to hear from other uh, pastors than myself um, from time to time. Uh, so, uh, so grateful for uh, their dedication to serve God's people, to serve us all. Uh, in their uh, careful study and preparation to proclaim God's word to us for the last month. But I'm so thankful to be back uh, in the pulpit this morning. Uh, if you want to turn to Matthew 7.12, Matthew 7.12, we're going to be looking at just a single verse this morning, Matthew 7.12. Uh, originally, we were actually going to look at Matthew 7.12 through 14. Um, but as I was digging into the text this week, I noticed um, that 12 kind of stands on its own, um, and uh, there's just a, a phrase that kind of uh, tipped me off to this. It's a phrase we've heard uh, in the Sermon on the Mount before. It's this phrase, the law and the prophets. Does anyone remember the last time we heard that word, or that phrase, rather? It was when we began to dig into uh, the body of the sermon, coming out of the introduction and getting into the body of the sermon earlier in Matthew 5 when Jesus talks about how he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And that was Jesus transitioning into the, the body of the sermon. And now this kind of serves, this verse serves as kind of an inclusio, uh, like a book ends almost, to, to show us that he is closing the body of the sermon. And then for the next uh, three Sundays following this Sunday, we're going to be looking at the conclusion, the Sermon on the Mount. And so he kind of pivots here to enter into the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we just wanted to stop right here and devote ourselves to this single verse, the, the verse Matthew 7, 12. And so we're going to look at this verse this morning, Matthew 7, 12. If you would like to stand with me for the reading of God's holy and precious word, let's listen with reverence and joy to the words of our King. He says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you with empty hands this morning, asking for good gifts. We want to hear from you. 
We want you to convict us where we need to be convicted. We want you to comfort us where we need to be comforted. We want you to conform us to the image of your Son. We want to be more like Jesus. And to be more like Jesus, we need to see Jesus. And so would you open our eyes this morning in wonder to behold Him, to believe Him, and as we go about our lives this week to obey Him. We pray in His name. Amen. Be seated. Well, um, the vast majority of us are are probably familiar with uh, what's called the golden rule. The golden rule. The golden rule is is a kind of overarching command or rule or or principle, which many believe ought to kind of guide one's ethics and morality in the situations and circumstances of everyday life. Uh, and when I say many, I, I mean many. Um, the the rule is present in in many uh, major uh, religions uh, in Judaism. Uh, there's actually this, this famous rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, and uh, he was a, 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 a rabbi and he had students that kind of followed him. And one day a student of his came to him and, and said, Rabbi Hillel, um, I want you to teach me the entirety of the Torah, the law, in the time that it takes for me to be able to stand on one foot. So the, tell me the law, and if I fall over and I can't keep my balance anymore, then then you've taken too long. So tell me the entirety of the law, the Torah, and the amount of time that it takes me to stand on one foot. And Rabbi Hillel responded by saying, uh, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole law, the rest is commentary. Obviously, he put it negatively, not positively, as as Jesus did. Uh, Jesus was the first recorded in history to take this rule and put it positively, but, but then others did the same. Uh, it, and it, it was, it's been taught by philosophers like Immanuel Kant and Confucius. Uh, this rule came to be present in Islam, in uh, Hinduism. Uh, and, and furthermore, this, this rule is not just present in the, in the lives and, and psyches of the religious, but also by the irreligious. Uh, in fact, if you were to ask your, your average irreligious neighbor today, if they're familiar with the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's very possible that the first thing they'll think of is this, the, the golden rule. It's even in the state of Kentucky Department of Transportation. It's the last thing they tell new drivers after they receive their license and about to send them out on the road. They say, treat other drivers as you would want to be treated. The golden rule is almost universally known and almost universally praised. But how seldom is it lived? Is it ever actually lived? Are there any communities, any groups, any congregations, any families, any people groups wherein this vision of life together is lived? Well, Jesus intends that the New Covenant Society, the local church, be a community wherein it is lived, not flawlessly, not perfectly, but characteristically and habitually 
lived. This rule, this principle, this vision for life together is to be lived out in our midst. How so? That's what we want to explore this morning. The big idea that we're looking at is this, that the children of God the Father are to treat others as they want to be treated. The children of God the Father are to treat others as they want to be treated. And we're going to explore that that big idea by looking at the rule, the way, and the fuel. The, The rule that Jesus tells us about here, the golden rule, the way that we can grow in living it, and the fuel for living it. First, the rule. The rule is rather simple. You've heard it a million times, maybe. There's a few different renditions of it, but the ESV puts it this way. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And now, the first thing that I want us to notice this morning is this, that it's a very comprehensive rule, isn't it? It's a very comprehensive rule. It's whatever, whatever you wish that others would do to you. And it's not only that, but uh, the DSV, for some reason or another, actually leaves out a particular word in their translation. Uh, most translations I found actually do. The KJV, the NASB, and the Young's Literal Translation, they all include this word. And it's this word, uh, it's, it comes before the word that's translated as so or therefore, depending on your translation. Uh, the first word in this verse is the word panta, panta, which could be translated as all. Like, in all things, in everything, in all things, therefore, Jesus is saying, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. You see, it's, it's all-encompassing. It's in every relationship, in every interaction, in every circumstance, in every conversation, in every setting, in everything, you are to consider others and what you would want them to do for you if you were in their shoes. And all things we are to, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 2.4, not only to look to our own interests, but also look to the interests of others. It really is this this kind of limitless instruction. You know, when, when those like Rabbi Hillel and Immanuel Kant and Confucius communicate this golden rule, they they do so negatively, like Hillel's example earlier. What is hateful to your brother, do not do. That's a little easier to take in, isn't it? It's not exactly easy to take in, but it's a little easier because when you put it negatively, there are limits to what you're called to. It forbids action. It, it doesn't prescribe action. You can be passive in your interactions with others and just not do anything, and you're still adhering to the rule then. But when you put it positively... You're really being called to take every thought, every word, every action, every inaction, everything in your life captive to this overarching principle and vision for life that we call the golden rule. Jesus is calling us to here is comprehensive. It's an all-encompassing way of life wherein we are to consider others' wants, desires, and needs and empathize with them and then act accordingly. And you see, it's it's better than, than common, you know, kind of competing general principles, such as like be nice or live and let live. That might be the way that you hear the golden rule. You might hear the golden rule and think it just means like be nice or, or live and let live. But that's not it. Be, be nice, live and let live. That sets the bar really low, doesn't it? Be nice allows you to be passive in the face of gross injustice, as long as you're polite. 
Live and let lives lets you remain passive when other people are destroying their lives and destroying others' lives. And sometimes treating others as you would like to be treated might require you to step outside of the bounds of what is typically considered niceness or tolerance. For example, parents, you know this. You know this. Disciplining your children might not be considered nice or tolerant by many modern standards. But if you were disciplined in a healthy way by your parents growing up, you know that it was good for you and it contributed to you being a healthy and well-functioning person. And so in, in disciplining your children, while it may, may not be pleasant or even considered nice or tolerant, it's the way you would want to be treated, right? The golden rule really is this sort of perfect all-encompassing life principle. It's a rule, a principle, a vision of life that, that you can really base all of your thoughts, words, and actions on. If you do, you would do well. But it's not only comprehensive, it's simple, isn't it? It's simple. That's why Jesus goes on to say, he says, for this is the law and the prophets. He's saying that the, the entirety of the moral instructions found in the Old Testament Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets, the Old Testament Scriptures, could be boiled down and summed up in the golden rule. I love how the NLT puts it. It says that, that the, the golden rule is the essence of the Law and the Prophets. Of course, he's not saying that if you learn the golden rule, we can just ignore all the other commands and instructions found in Scripture. Now, if we read the various commands and moral instructions of, of the Scripture, we learn much about how we can apply this basic principle uh, to, to the stuff of everyday life. The commands and instructions of Scripture uh, often show us how we can live out this golden rule in specific situations. But here's the thing. We also need the simplified principle of the golden rule because there's no way that all of the various commands and instructions found in Scripture could show us how we're to relate to others in every single situation we might encounter in life. For example, in the ancient world, they didn't have cars or phones or texting. Therefore, there's no command in Scripture to not text and drive. And by the way, parents, I asked some of your kids, those of you with older kids, if they see you do this in the car, and most of them said yes. So... But you won't find that command in Scripture. But, but here's the thing. Ask yourself this question. Do you want a bunch of people out there texting and driving and not paying attention at all while they're driving? Do you want someone to drive down your street where your car is parked and where neighborhood kids play and where maybe your kids play while they're looking at their phone, not paying attention to the road? Of course you don't want that. So don't do that. Listen to the state of Kentucky Department of Transportation. Treat others on the road the way you would like to be treated. Apply Jesus' golden rule to your life and to your driving and do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Another example. There's no explicit command in Scripture to not interrupt people. But we do it all the time. We don't really listen to people. We often just wait for our turn to talk, and often we just jump in, not even waiting for our turn to talk, but just jump right in and end up interrupting others to make our thoughts and opinions known. But ask yourself, do you like it when someone interrupts you when you're in the middle of talking? No. It's rude. It's hurtful. It's frustrating. It makes you feel 
unimportant, like your thoughts and feelings don't matter. So don't do that to others. Perhaps there's not an explicit command in Scripture to not text and drive or to not interrupt others, but this simplified principle can help you apply biblical ethics to your life in situations that the Bible might not specifically speak to. Now, the golden rule, it's not easy, but it's simple. We're to consider how we would like to be treated and then treat others in that way. If you were to add up everything in the ethical message of the Scriptures regarding how we're to relate to others, this is what it would amount to. This is the summary of the ethics of the Scriptures as they teach us how to relate to our neighbors. All this golden rule stuff sounds really good. It's likely something that we want to live into, but when, when boots hit the ground, is this actually realistic? The facts are that, that living with others in the church, in the home, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, it's actually very hard. We're sinned against, people wrong us and wound us. How can we actually be expected to treat other sinful people the way we want to be treated when we can count on it that other people are not going to treat us the way that we want to be treated? What help us in our journey here, let me offer five R's. These five R's are, I think, some helpful tools that can assist us on our way to live out this golden rule principle in our day-to-day lives in a way that's sustainable and gritty and realistic First is run from pride. Run from pride. Now, we often think of, of pride as thinking too highly of oneself, but it might be more helpful to just think of pride as, as just thinking of oneself too much. Pride is not merely being pompous or puffed up. That can be a result of, of pride, but, but that's not the essence of it. Pride is actually our being bent in toward ourselves. Pride is mainly uh, or, or merely considering oneself instead of others. Pride is, is self-centeredness. If we're proud, we're only concerned, or we're mainly or merely concerned with ourselves in the way that we want to be treated. Humility, on the other hand, causes our eyes to be open to the needs, desires, and pain of those around us. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2.13 that we're to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, do nothing in pride, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So you need to pay attention then to your thought life and your interactions with your roommates, your co-workers, and your family, with your spouse, your kids, your fellow church members. Pay attention And consider your thought life. Are you only considering how these people, these relationships, and the situations you face in them are going to benefit and affect you? Or are you additionally considering how others in the room might be feeling or thinking? Are you considering how you might be able to serve and assist others in your home, in your work, in your city group? Are you paying attention to others? This is how you can run from pride. Pay attention to others. And help do that, we need the second R, reflect, don't react. Now, here's the thing. I know that our lives are super busy, you know, or at least we think they are, but they're fast-paced a lot of the times. At least our hearts are busy, even if our schedules aren't. And so, most of us probably don't 
pay attention enough to our own thought lives to even know what, if we're considering the needs, desires, and pains of others at all because we spend most of our lives just reacting to stuff all the time. We never really take time to reflect on what we want, much less what others want. We just kind of listen to our initial gut reactions and obey those instead of thoughtfully reflecting on how we can honor and consider others. And so I want you to do this. When you're in a disagreement with your spouse, when you're faced with an opportunity to serve someone in the church at great inconvenience to yourself, when your children mess up, when your work is interrupted at the coffee shop by a chatty person sitting next to you, or whatever it is, take a moment and reflect, if I was this person, what would I want from me? And then do that. Reflect, don't react. Now, let's be realistic. We're going to mess up. We're going to mess up this afternoon. So in fleeing your pride and pursuing humility, readily admit when you mess up. Readily admit when you mess up. In other words, apologize. You know, during family worship one night this last week, I asked the kids to name one thing that they really appreciate others doing to or for them. And Dietrich gave this really long story that didn't make much sense, but it basically amounted to this, that he really appreciates when others apologize to him. I just thought that was amazingly profound because in real life, we live in a world where the golden rule is not followed. That's just real life stuff. That's just real life. It's realistic. We want to obey the Bible in a realistic world, not in an idealistic world. Here's the thing. If we're going to obey the golden rule in a realistic world, not an idealistic world. We need to include apologizing as a way of living out the golden rule. Like, you're not going to flawlessly live out this text. As a community, we are not going to flawlessly live out this text. If we're really sharing life together, if we're actually living life together, we're going to hurt one another, and we're going to sin against one another, and we're going to wound one another, sometimes deeply. And so part of the way that we can treat one another the way that we want to be treated is we must apologize to one another, make restitution where necessary, and forgive one another. Next, root yourself in God's Word. So if the golden rule boils down and sums up the law and the prophets, where can we learn more about what it looks like to live out the golden rule? The law and the prophets. The Bible, basically. It's where we find what it looks like to live out the golden rule. I, I, I find it helpful, this would be a fun study for you, is to look at all of the one another commands you can find in the scriptures. There's this, this wonderful phrase that accompanies many scriptural commands, the, the, the one another commands of the scriptures. Paul, Peter, James, John, they love these. And they're all over the New Testament. The New Testament tells us to confess our sins to one another to forgive one another, to be tender-hearted to one another, to be generous to one another, to tell the truth to one another, to honor one another, to love one another, to care for one another, to instruct one another, to welcome one another, to be hospitable to one another, to bear with one another, to submit to one another, to address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs tells us to encourage one another, to exhort one another, and, and, and more. There's much, much more. 
As you read and grow in, in understanding and obeying this golden rule, which is the, the heart of this biblical relational ethic, you will find yourself living out these one another commands more and more. To root yourself in God's word. And don't only root yourself in God's word, though, to find out more about how you ought to live as a Christian, but to behold your God and Father who loves you and who has treated you the way that you want to be treated, which brings us to the last R, which is run to the Father. Look at this word, so, toward the beginning of verse 12 here. In everything, so. So in everything, in everything, therefore. Whenever you see that word, you need to immediately look at the text that precedes it. This word could be translated as therefore as well. In some translations, it is. Of course, we have this rule that we follow around here. If you see the word therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. Look at the text that immediately precedes the golden rule. What do you see? You see an exhortation from Jesus to pray and a promise. A promise from Jesus that your heavenly Father is going to take care of you and that he's going to give you good gifts and that he's going to provide for you all because he loves you. He is your father and you are his beloved child. I'm convinced that part of the worry we feel when considering the golden rule stems from this kind of mindset. If I'm out here trying to take care of others, in treating them the way that I want to be treated, what about me? I've, I've got to take care of numero uno, because if I don't, no one else will. Who's going to make sure I'm good? Who's going to take care of me? Remember, that as Jesus taught us from this text last week, Brandon so appropriately put it, he said, God, your heavenly Father, says to you, I've got you. God, do you understand who's going to ultimately take care of you? Is God your Father? He is going to take care of you. And so my friends, please notice that the mindset of I can't follow the golden rule because who's going to take care of me is not befitting for children of God. There's this, this missionary and theologian, Jack Miller, he, he would have put it like this. He would have said, that's not the mindset of a child of God. That's the mindset of an orphan. Jack and uh, Rose Miller, they, they were Presbyterian missionaries who worked with orphaned children in, in Uganda. And uh, they went on to start this missions organization called World Harvest. It's now called Surge. Well, in the 70s, this, this genocidal dictator uh, named Idi Amin came to power in Uganda and ended up killing thousands and thousands of Ugandans, which resulted in, in many, many children being orphaned throughout the country. And so Jack and Rose, they, they felt called to move to Uganda and to uh, begin to, to care for these children. And something they noticed about these children is that the, the profoundly tragic life event of becoming a parentless child had, a very, had very real and traumatic impacts on the way that these children related to others. They saw that as a pattern, and they listed these out, they saw that as a pattern, these children characteristically felt alone. They were anxious over felt needs. They had lots of fear. 
They thought they had to handle everything themselves. They needed to be in control of people and situations. And they felt unworthy, abandoned, and rejected. Interestingly, in in her book, Rose Miller actually talks about a time wherein her and Jack were in somewhat of a, a spat. And he simply said to her, Rose, you're acting like an orphan. And together, they they came to the realization that so much of their lives and so much of our lives as Christians, that we live as if we don't have a Father in heaven who is going to take care of us. We live like orphans. We live like we're all alone. We get anxious over felt needs. We have lots of fear. We think we need to handle everything ourselves. We feel like we need to be in control of people and situations. We feel unworthy and abandoned and rejected. And as it relates to the golden rule, we we feel like we can't really consider and care for the needs and desires of others because we feel like if we do, we won't be seen or taken care of. That's what John Miller called an orphan mindset, not a sonship mindset. And I have this little kind of list that that can serve as a diagnostic tool. If you want to come grab one of these after the service, I would love to give you one. But Christian, let let me remind you something. Let me remind you of something. You're not an orphan. You're a son or a daughter of the sovereign of the universe. And remember this this theme woven throughout the Sermon on the Mount, that God is your Father. If you are in Christ, you are His beloved child in whom He delights. That same delight that He pronounced over Jesus at His baptism in Matthew 3, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, in whom I delight. He says that over you. He says over you, I delight in you. He delights in you as his very own child. The one who hung the stars, who sovereignly controls the motions of the planets and the waves of the sea, the one who feeds the birds and clothes the grass of the field, that's your father. And he promised to take care of you. You're safe and secure with him. And don't you see, that is the fuel for adherence to the golden rule. God is your Father. If you want to live a life marked by this golden rule ethic, remember that. God is your Father. And as your Father, He has been extremely kind and generous, extraordinarily, infinitely kind and generous toward you in Christ. He has treated you the way you want to be treated, not the way you deserve to be treated. He treats you not according to your sins, but as a son. He gives you good gifts. He will take care of you. He will provide for you. He delights in you. He loves you. He lavishes you with kindness and gifts and goodness all abounding through his son. And truly, his son, the one preaching the sermon here, he is the proof and chiefest display of God's love for you. While we were still sinners spiraling into an an existence of eternal condemnation, Christ stepped in to give us not what we deserve, but what we longed for and desired and wanted with all of our souls. 
He stepped in to give us forgiveness. He stepped in to deliver us from eternal condemnation. He stepped in to be our righteousness so that we would be fully and freely accepted by God the Father forever. He stepped in to give us life and life abundantly. And as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, if God has given us his Son, how will he not also along with him give us all things? Don't you see gives us everything we need. God is your Father. He is your protector and provider, and He is providentially working all things together for your good. He will take care of you, and that good news, if we believe it, is what compels and empowers us to live this golden rule vision, this golden rule ethic for life. Here's the thing, as we saw in the beginning, the the golden rule, it's not necessarily unique to Christianity. Judaism has it, Hinduism has it, Islam has it, Kant has it, Confucius has it, secularism has it, even the state of Kentucky Department of Transportation has it. But what is unique to Christianity is the gospel of God the Father sending Christ the Son to take on our sins so that we might become children of God in whom he delights. God delights in you, Christian. You are his beloved child with whom he is well pleased. And don't you see, while the golden rule may not be unique to Christianity, what is unique to Christianity is that we have all the resources we'll ever need to obey it. Don't need to resort to guilt or shame or self-willed resolution to keep the golden rule. We're not left on our own to fend for ourselves. We're not orphans. We're sons and daughters. So don't look to yourself. Look to Him. Look to heaven. Look at your sufficiency. Look at your Father. Look at His faithfulness. Look at what He's done for you through Christ. Look at how he takes care of you. Look at the promises of his word. Look at his mercy. Look at him and be renewed. He has saved you. He treats you as a son or daughter, not according to your sins. He has lavished his love and kindness on you. You are safe and secure with him. He will provide for you. He will take care of you. Rest in who he is for you, and as you rest in who he is for you, you will be compelled and empowered to run from pride, to reflect and not react, to readily admit when you mess up, and to root yourself in God's word, and to treat others ultimately as you want to be treated, because ultimately you are treated not the way you deserve, but the way you want to be treated by the God and sovereign of the universe. Look to him. Let's pray. Father, would you assure our hearts this morning, would you give us the peace of knowing that you have declared over us, you are righteous, you are my child, and I love you forever. Would you assure us of that this morning? And as we come to the table, would you remind us that that truthfulness is not rooted in in some vague sentimentality or, 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 or positive thinking, but it's rooted in the reality that you've given us your son, that his body was broken and his blood was shed. And that because Christ, because of his sacrifice, because he's enough, it's true and it's true forever that we are your children. 
Assure us of that. Remind us of that. Strengthen and compel us and empower us and transform us from that good news to be those who love one another as ourselves and who treat one another and treat our neighbors as we want to be treated. For the glory of your name, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.